So if you've ever wondered, what do you get Jesus for Christmas? Anybody ever wondered that? What, what could you possibly get Jesus for Christmas? Well, I have this simple little Christmas skit that will remind you what Jesus wants from you more than anything. are really unnecessary. I mean, I, I, I just want to sit down and chat. Here, open mine first. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Clever. Uh, yeah. WWID. <laughs> and I'm the only one that can wear it. Right? Do you love it or what? Yeah. I thought, if Jesus would want anything, this would be it. It's great, Drew. <laughs> Listen, I know you were looking for work. Yeah, Jesus, How's you know what? We're all looking for work. Here, open mine. Sure. <laughs> it's a Bible. Oh, <laughs> Bible. it's got your name on it, and your words are in red, just in case you forgot what you said. <laughs> Always nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> How did it go when you went over to talk to your... Oh, Jesus. I, Here, open uh, my gift. Okay. Yeah. You're going to love it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> See? Right there. Huh? Okay, and what is this? Sand from the Holy Land. I, I special ordered oh. it just for you so that you would feel more at home, you know? I do. Anyway, and that's not all. <laughs> Check this out. Huh? Cross. Yes, a cross, exactly. But not just any cross. This cross was made from the same wood that your cross was made from. Can you uh, believe it? And you uh, can wear uh, it as a necklace, you know, to remind you of that day. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. All this is unnecessary, guys, because uh, all I really want to do is talk. Jesus, what is your problem? I mean, if you don't like our gifts, just say so. Yeah, we went through a lot of trouble to get you these. This Bible was not cheap, and the engraving was real gold. You're going to oh. act like that. You can forget about seeing us at Easter. You know, you can at least be grateful for the stuff that you wanted. But all I really wanted was you. What are you laughing about? Now this skit really doesn't have much to do with our message today. Uh, but I thought it was a good reminder to make sure that, you know, Christmas is a very busy time. We have lots of families and lots, a lot of get-togethers and lots of things we want to do for people. But to make sure that we don't get so caught up in those things that we forget the real meaning of, of Christmas, which was Jesus. And all he wants from you is our time, you. He just wants that relationship with you. And I know it's easy to get so busy that we do other things for Jesus that we kind of forget him. So it was just a fun skit that uh, we came across that we thought we'd like to share. So We are talking about gifts for Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. If you'd like to, to turn there, we're going to be talking about that. We might tie this in a little bit as we go, just because we, we had it up there, but Matthew 2 verses, Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. 
I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to come back and discuss it. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Verse 9 says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray again and ask God's blessing. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the story that has, that's, it's so old, but it's so important. And it's, it's, it's such a great beginning of the life of Jesus to show how much you love us and how much you care that you were born to a poor family and a poor stable and that you came to be the king of the world by giving us eternal life. I thank you, God, for the time to speak your word right now. And I just pray that everything that comes out of my mouth will be the words that you want me to say and the words that we need to hear. And I pray that, God, we leave today knowing better what wise men do, that they, that they seek you and that they worship you and that they serve you with whatever you have given them. And I pray that we would see that and we would be able to do that well in this, after this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we have are the wise men. And it might, your, past, your Bible might say wise men, it might say magi, and we're really not going to spend a whole lot of time on these guys because the Bible doesn't say there's a lot of information about them. I did a little uh, research and found out that it's a Persian word for those who are experts in studying the stars. That probably didn't shock anybody because the magi or the wise men were following stars. And they would go out at night and they would look at the stars. And they were able to determine certain things. And people back in that day thought they could predict the future based off the stars. And they were... And I think it's really an incredible thing that they were able to do to look at the stars and notice anything different because they didn't have telescopes. They didn't have all the, the binoculars or all the resources that we have today. You know, because if I went out and looked at the stars, I could look at them every night for the rest of my life, and I don't know if I would notice anything different. You know, if I got my, my telescope out there and maybe chart, you know, I can't even find the constellations. I can find the dippers because they look like it. But like the bear and the Pleiades and the Orion, I, I know those, when, when someone draws a picture and says these are the stars that make it up, I can see it. But otherwise, I just look and all I see is stars. But these guys were obviously much better at that, and they were experts at it. And they studied the stars. And so when uh, a new star came out at night, all of a sudden, guess what? They noticed the star. Now, there's a lot of debate about what the, the what kind of star this was? How did the star actually show up in the sky in order to lead the, peop 
lead these wise men over to Jerusalem, eventually to Bethlehem to see baby Jesus. One thought was uh, that it was a comet, like Halley's Comet, that slowly moved across the sky, and the wise men recognized something about this, that they needed to follow the star to see where it ended up. It could be. Another thought was that there was an explosion of a star. And so that would make it 20 times brighter, obviously catching somebody's attention. Another was there was, and this, some of these things are actually recorded in history that have taken place about the time that Jesus was born. Because we don't have the specific day or the specific year that he was born. So between about 2 and 5 BC, there's these different strange star phenomenon that happened that are recorded by people. You can look back in history. Uh, one option that was given was called the Mesri Sirius Dog Star that had an extraordinary brilliance that showed up about that time, and it signified the birth of a king. And so if that was it, these, these uh, wise men would recognize that, and so they'd say, we're going to go and see where this king is going to be born. I assume the star is going to stop right over the home where this guy is, which I don't know how you would tell the star is that far away where it stopped, where it's over somebody. But apparently... They thought that was possible. And there's even a belief that maybe it was an angel that was up there high enough that looked like a star, and he's bright, and so you, you can't tell because he's not like, hey, I'm up here, I'm a person, I'm an angel. He's, he's just so far away, and he's bright. And so that's what led the wise men to Jesus. Now, which of those is the right answer? I don't really know. I'm not really worried about it. All I know is that God says, I'm going to put a star in the sky, these wise men, or magi, are going to recognize something about the star and say, we're going to follow this star and see where it leads because we think there's a connection with the birth of a king. Ultimately, when they get to Jerusalem, they're asking about that. So they must believe that the star is pointing to the, the, the place where Jesus is going to be born. And when they get to Jerusalem, they're really excited about this. And the way they're asking they must be, because how many of you think it's a good idea to go to another king and start talking about a different king and say, hey, I didn't come to worship you, King Herod. I came to worship somebody else. How many think that's going to go over real well? These guys apparently didn't know or they didn't care that what Herod thought about this, but guess what? Herod didn't like that idea. He doesn't have the same view in mind that he does. In verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard about this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, King Herod, we all know, was a bad dude. He was a guy who, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but I want to point out that he actually had a soft side. Um, the, the place where he was ruling at, he was the only king who could keep peace in that area. No one before him, no one after him was able to do that. When the taxes got so heavy on the people, he says, I'm going to lighten the load because these guys cannot bear the burdens of the taxes. And that's a really great king. When, when the people were starving because they couldn't provide food, he melted down some of his own gold plates in order to buy the people food. Anybody knew that before? I didn't know that. That's what, that's what history says about this guy. But as good as he was in those areas, he was as bad in other areas. He, had, he was jealous beyond belief. Uh, beyond anybody else that you could, could ever think of. And it says, the whole, everybody else was disturbed because King Herod was disturbed. And they were disturbed because what happened to Herod, however he felt, impacted all the people. And Herod was so jealous 
that he, any threat to his kingdom, it didn't matter if it was his favorite wife or if it was his son or if it was some outsider, he eliminated that threat. He, he, he had him killed off. And so these, you find out in Matthew 2.16 that when, uh, after Herod realized that the Magi had left him, that they didn't actually come back to tell him where this Christ was to be born, he says, I'm going to deal with this problem on my own. And he says, I'm going to send to Bethlehem and have all the little boys, two years and older, uh, put to death. So I don't even have to worry about the threat of this little boy growing up to be the king. And so they, they understood that whatever Herod decided was something that was going to impact everybody. What you may not know is that Bethlehem is only six miles away from Jerusalem. And so you imagine here, what's six miles away from here? I mean, four miles to uh, Dale and Sharon's ranch, right? Just about four miles. And you go this a, a few miles farther. I, I think Sandstone, is that about five or six miles away? I mean, every direction you go, it's very close. And so everything, even if it happens six miles away, and its vicinity is going to have an impact on the people of Jerusalem. Someone's going to be losing a little nephew or a cousin or a brother or something that's going to have this impact. And so everybody's afraid just because King Herod is nervous about this little boy. Uh, the, there's a Roman emperor uh, named Augustus at that time who said it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Because Herod was willing to kill anybody in order to keep his throne safe for himself. But Herod thinks he's, he's going to pull the wool over. I mean, he, he wants to know what's the truth. What's the prophecy? What are these... What do I keep hearing about this Jesus that these wise men are telling me? So he says, you go search with the scribes and the teachers of the law and see what does the Bible or the prophecy really say about this. Verses 4 to 6. It says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, six miles away, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So Herod's got the information. He says, okay, this is what prophecy says. And I don't know if he believes this or not. Maybe he's just saying, I'm just going to eliminate any possible threat that there could be anywhere. But maybe he believes this is true. And he still, A, says, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to go against what God wants. And B, I'm not going to accept what the prophecy says. He I think maybe he might believe it actually could happen. And that's one of the sad things about this guy is he hears the truth. But he's not a wise person. He, he rejects the truth. But we're going to look at the difference between the wise and the unwise in a little bit. His, at the point, he's thinking, I'm going to outsmart God. This is what his prophecy says, but I can stop it. And I can overrule what God says. And so he, gra he gathers the wise men and he says, hey, why don't you guys go and and do my dirty work for me. He doesn't put it that way, but he says, you go and find out where this child is to be born, and then let me know so that I can go and worship him. Verses 7 and 8. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He, he, in, in a sense, he's like, you go and do the work for me, you figure out where this child is at, and then I'll just send my men there, and they'll take care of this issue for me. And I imagine Herod's feeling pretty good about this. 
okay, there's the stress that there is this, uh, this perspective, someone to take over my kingdom, but I'm, I'm taking care of it. So I'm sure he's in high spirits about what is going to be solved. He doesn't have to do anything about it. The problem's going to be solved for him. But in verse 12, we find out that the Magi were warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod because he wants to take care of Jesus. He doesn't want to help him. He wants to kill him. So go home by another route. You know, wise men see Jesus. It was true back then, and it's true right now. You know, wise men today, they don't get on a camel or on horses and travel great distances with gold, frankincense, and myrrh to go and find a baby Jesus in the dark following a star to see where he's at. I don't know how many people, if that was what it took to follow Jesus, I don't know how many people would actually do that. They would probably say, yep, you go and you take a picture for me. You put it on YouTube and I'll say I saw it. They say, you go do that. I'll just watch your, your work. But wise men seek Jesus. They seek Jesus for salvation. You seek the Lord while he may be found. At some point, it is going to be too late. You know, there's, I imagine that there's a lot of people right now who are in Hades waiting for their day of judgment thinking, boy, I wish I would have sought Jesus. I wish I would have trusted him as my Savior. And I know, I know there's a lot of wise people in here. A lot of people say, yeah, I have put my faith in Jesus. And that's exactly what you need to do. Now, wise people, I'm going to say, don't always put their faith in Jesus right off the bat. But wise people seek Jesus. They seek answers. I don't understand this message of salvation. I don't think I believe this. I don't think I get this. But wise men keep asking questions. What do you do when you don't understand your math at school? What do you do when you don't understand your prop, your uh, the assignment that your boss gives you at work. What do you do if you don't understand something? You ask, right? Wise men seek Jesus. They keep asking. They keep trying to find the answers. So they keep trying to find the answers to this salvation. But everyday life, wise men seek Jesus. I know it's real easy to get up and, and start your day and you eat breakfast and you just hit the road and you hit, hit the radio and you go to work and you make decisions all day long all by yourself because we're all big boys right we're all big girls we we know how to make decisions we've learned from other people in life some good choices and some not good choices but wise men seek jesus wise men say okay i'm going to start my day off in prayer or at some point in the day i'm going to stop and pray and ask god for his help and i know it's easy like i'm on the run i'm always going somewhere and i'm going to pray and i need some help but wise men also go in their closet, they shut the door, and they pray in secret. They just stop, and they pray, and they ask God for his guidance, and they ask God for his help. But wise men also, when they pray, they also sit and listen, which is something I struggle to do as well. But to sit and listen, and, and listen to hear God speak to us. Wise men seek him in prayer. Wise men seek him in his word. One of my favorite things to say uh, lately, and I, maybe it'll get old at some point, was the things that you can learn in the Bible just by reading it. it you know, because since we got here a year ago, I've been trying to just read through the Old Testament, which I've, I've heard before. We used to read the one-year Bible every year for like five or six years with my parents. My dad would read it, you know, and I know it's hard to sit there and listen and glean as much, but since we got here, I've been trying to just read through the Old Testament, it makes sense of the stories and the kings and who ruled at which, in, which times. 
And I'm amazed at the things that I learned that I'm not even looking for. I mean, I just, like even like the devotional uh, last week at the annual business meeting, um, when we're talking about traditions and how we can follow traditions like tooth and nail, and how God says, hey, I'm going to have these people show the Israelites, this is what you're not like. You know how to follow traditions, but when God gives you a message, you don't know how to follow that. I keep, keep telling you this over and over and over, but you say, I'm not going to do it. And these guys are going to make you look bad. You're going to ultimately be punished and go into Babylon. And so I know you look at the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. What does that have to do with you? I have no idea. I mean, I can think of things, and I don't, I don't think that God has taught me, but you read through the Bible, and God can speak to you without you even knowing that he's going to say anything. You read through and think, yeah, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, that's great about a guy running around the wall and falling down. You know, and the VeggieTale version is even better. But there's something in there that God can teach you that you're not even expecting. So wise men seek him. They seek him for in prayer. They seek him for salvation. They seek him for answers in his word in everyday life. But unwise men, guess what they do? They reject Jesus. They say, you know what? I don't, I don't believe in this Jesus. I don't know this Jesus. I don't want this Jesus. How many people know people like that? I, my, my dad was telling me last night, we were Skyping with them, and they went to a family Christmas party. And I think of all my uncles and aunts. Uh, he has eight brothers and sisters. And there's only, there's my dad, this is the preacher, and I have one aunt that was, used to go to youth group when my dad was the youth pastor at the church. Other than that, nobody's interested in the Lord. And one's like, don't even look at me with love in your eyes that has coming from Jesus because she wants nothing to do with that. And they, I'm sorry, they have heard the message, they know the gospel, but they are not wise people because they, they want nothing to do with it. And there's lots of people in the world who, uh, they, they want to convince themselves that Jesus isn't real, that God isn't real. But the Bible says in Romans 1, 18 to 20, that creation, you look outside on this beautiful sunny day with a little bit of snow on the ground, and that creation is screaming the fact that God is there, and they're trying to convince themselves that he is not there, that he is not really real. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know that God is there, but they're saying, you know what, I'm going to avoid thinking about that because I want to do this lifestyle that, they don't, that God doesn't agree with. I'm just going to keep putting something else in that place. It says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, it's very obvious because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And, and the unwise says, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm not going to seek out that there's possibly a God. I want nothing to do with a God if there is one. So I have to ask you, are you a wise person? Are you an unwise person? That's something that only you can do because guess what Herod did? He pulled the wool right over the, the Magi's eyes. He says, hey, you go find this baby, and I want to worship him too. And the Magi are thinking, great, let's make a party out of this. We'll go find him, and we'll let you know. And they pulled the, he pulled the wool right over their eyes, but guess what he wanted? All he wanted to do was to kill the baby. So I hope that that's not you. I hope you're not pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. Wise men seek Jesus, but that's not it. 
That's not all they did. They didn't just say, oh, great, there's a baby. Or he's two years old or whatever age he is. Yep, he's there. Too bad I forgot my camera. I'm going home. They didn't just say, we just have the facts. The first thing that they did was they worshipped him. Verses 9 through 11a says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary with him, and they, op- they worshipped him. So that's the first thing that they did, is they, they worshipped him. In their culture, this was, it was like a dog who, who like bows at his master's feet. You say, if I don't come here and lay down. And he does, and he gets down as low as possibly he can get. And that's kind of what these, these magi were doing. They were doing that. And guess what they were doing that to? A baby. I mean, between up, up to two years old, depending on the timing of, of when they saw him, because they, they didn't go to the manger to see him. They went to a house. So it wasn't the night he was born, even though all the songs say that, which is whatever. But it was somewhere up until two years old. But guess what? These grown men are bound before a little baby. Now, if you had a king, if it was King Herod, it would make a lot more sense to do that because he's the king. If you don't bow down to me, guess what? I can have you put to death for that. In the Old Testament, Esther, she was supposed to go talk to the king, and she was the queen. And if she approached the king and he didn't like it, if he didn't raise his golden scepter, guess what happened to Esther? She died. She, that's what she was afraid of. She says, you guys fast and pray for me for 30 days before I go see the king, because that's how concerned she was. But for a baby? I'm going to go bow before this little kid, this little runny-nosed kid that, who wants to do that? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't even want to do that before a man, let alone a little kid. But these, these did that. And what's Jesus going to do for, for them? Jesus isn't, he's a baby, so he's not going to be talking. He's not going to wink and like, hey, good job, guys. Thank you for worshiping me. There's going to be, hey, he's not going to, there's no thank you. There's no nothing that they're going to get in return. But they're, they're going to go and they're going to worship this baby. You know, and it kind of seems probably similar today. If you were to say, hey, we're going to come to our church today and we're going to bow before Jesus. Because... You know, baby, baby Jesus didn't do anything in response to the, the wise men. And Jesus isn't here, right? It would, it would feel kind of awkward to get on the floor and I'm bowing to Jesus because I don't see him anywhere. And it's, it's nice that we don't do that, but to kind of get a better picture of how awkward it might be, but, the, um, but how important it was for them to do anyways. You know, um, we, don't, we don't worship Jesus that way today. We worship him in other ways. How many people sang in church today? Okay, I didn't, I didn't look and count. Um, but if you did, you know, I, I know it's, it's easy to be, uh, if, like the sound of your voice. I mean, I don't know how many people say, I don't really don't like the sound of my voice. I don't really like the sound of mine. I, get, I listen to myself on the uh, computer sometimes because it's recorded. And I'm like, man, that's just terrible to listen to. But guess what? It doesn't matter what you sound like. Guess who likes it? Jesus. Yeah, God likes it. Whether it's squeaky, whether it's off-key, I would say belt it out. You want to worship God, you sing it out because God says, I know you sound like that. I gave you that voice. If I wanted you to sound different, guess what I would do? I'd give you a different voice. So I would say sing it out. That's one way that you worship God. We worship God in prayer. When we're praising Him for 
for getting us here safely to work. We're praising him for the music. We're praising him for the selling of our house. We're giving him credit for those things. That's worshiping to God. When we're, when we're reading God's word, we're showing worship to him. When we're listening to God's word, those are ways that we worship Jesus. And that's what wise people do. Wise people seek Jesus. Wise people worship Jesus. Unwise people, guess what they worship? They worship something else. Uh, King Herod was worshiping himself. His whole life was about protecting himself and his kingdom. And I know uh, even wise people can make bad choices from time to time. And even, even preachers can do that. Uh, you know, because I, I, could, I could do lots of things for Jesus, but not even have Jesus involved in it. I can, I can spend a whole week studying a message. I can go out and visit. Um, I can prepare. I can do all sorts of things. But if I don't have that relationship with Jesus to back that up, guess who I'm worshiping? In my mind, I'm worshiping myself. I'm putting myself first over God. And so anything we put over God, I think, is a form of worship. I know it's easy to put our jobs before God. It's easy to put our sports or our hobbies or our families or ourselves, And all, all these things that are always in competition with God. Now, I'm not looking at you trying to point fingers, but because this isn't about me. This is about God, and it's about worship. And you, I know it's, it's hard to go, boy, I don't want to sing at church. I don't want to show up at church. I don't want to pray at home. I don't want to do those things. Those things are a form of worship, but guess what they're about? They're not about me. Worshiping is about Jesus. It's about what he wants. It's about what makes him happy. Jesus has done so much for us. We, he deserves to have us to worship him with every breath that we have for, for now and for all eternity. The wise man worships Jesus. The foolish man worships himself. The third thing that the wise men did is they gave gifts to Jesus. It says, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Obviously, we know what gold is. We sure wouldn't mind having a little more of it. It's that gold shiny stuff that's worth a lot. I remember the last I heard the gold was worth, and it's probably different now, but I remember I think it was eighteen or $1,900 for an ounce. That was like last year or a couple years ago. Anybody have any idea what that is? Now it's pretty expensive, right, if you, if you happen to have any. But that was one of the things that they brought him. They brought him frankincense, which was something that you would, it's kind of like a gum or a sap that you get from a tree. Like when you cut it, it would bleed out this, and you would, uh, when you uh, heated it up, it would give off a fragrant burnt offering. It was something that was used in the Old Testament, and God really liked it. It was something that was a pleasing aroma, an offering to the Lord. And that was something that they gave to uh, Jesus. And then there was myrrh, which was something harvested kind of in a similar way to frankincense, but it was something different. And it, didn't, it did not have a positive thought to it. It was something that was used for the dead. It obviously was used kind of in the same way as frankincense because it was a smelling thing, but it was used to cover up the, the smell of a dead body. And that doesn't seem like that great of a gift to give to a baby, but that was something that they gave to, to Mary and Joseph and to Jesus. But the, the reasoning for why they gave these things is I'm sure it was, you know, gold represented the kingliness of Jesus. The frankincense represented the priestliness of Jesus. And the uh, myrrh represented the death of Jesus. And so they all had a special meeting. I'm sure that's what they 
why they gave those to Jesus, but they also were given for other reasons. These were kind of like the best things that their country had to offer. Um, and it was, it was something that they, they were no doubt going to be able to use. When they had to escape Egypt, or escape to Egypt, because Herod was going to go kill all the little boys, an angel woke up, Joseph said, get the heck out of Dodge, go to, go to Egypt, because this is what's going to happen. No doubt they used that money to help finance their trip. I don't know what they used the frankincense for. Maybe it was a worship, or maybe it was for an air freshener because there was a new baby in the house. Um, or and maybe they just hung on to the myrrh until somebody died, or, or maybe they had some other purpose for it. But these, these were all gifts. These were all something that they chose to freely give. There was not a gift registry at the local mall where you just go and say, hey, look, this is the baby wish list of what baby Jesus really needs. These were the best of what their, their country had, and they said, hey, we want to give these to Jesus. But they were a gift. No one made them do it. They just, on their own, decided that they wanted to do this. All three of these gifts were unique. The two had kind of a similarity, but they were also unique. And they were meant for different purposes. And, and I already said that, that it was the, the best that their country had to offer. Now, when you think about the gifts that you can give to Jesus... Anybody got some gold, frankincense, or myrrh stashed somewhere at home to give to Jesus? I don't either. I mean, I could afford some gold. I have no idea where to buy frankincense or myrrh. You probably could get it offline if you really wanted to. Um, but that's not what Jesus is asking for us. Jesus obviously does not need that. He's not down here on earth where he could even use those things. And really, what does God need from us? He doesn't need anything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the world. He gives us the air that he breathes. There's absolutely nothing that we could give him that he says, oh, good, thank you, Josh. I was running low on that. I really needed that. Thank you. He, he just doesn't, he does not need anything. But I still want to encourage you to give something to Jesus. And make sure it's something that you're happy to give. Because he, 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 he says to give uh, with... Uh, don't give grudgingly, okay? Be a cheerful giver. When you give something in Jesus' name to somebody else, do it because you want to, not because you have to. It can be as unique as you are. Some people say, hey, I got finances. This one guy had the gold. He says, this is worth the most. I'm going to give gold. This guy says, well, I don't have the gold, but this is the best of what I have. It's frankincense. I'm going to give frankincense. Someone says, the other guy says, I don't have that stuff, but I got myrrh. That's what I'm going to give this. It could be your finances. It could be your time. It could be a skill set that you could use uh, to bless others with in the name of Jesus. Last week we looked at how Jesus was, uh, had this little boy up front and he says, hey, you want to be great in God's kingdom. You make sure that you treat this kid like you're treating me because that's how I look at it. And so when you're doing something for somebody, especially somebody who can't afford it or, or can't repay you in some way, that's doing something for God. So that's, that's one way to give, to, some, to actually give a gift to Jesus. You know, and think about what you can give that's more important than those things, is God wants your heart. God wants your, he wants the relationship with you. And that's something that I can't give to God for you. That's not something you can give to God for somebody else. If you need to make Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a gift that you can give him that only you can give him. 
And also, give God your love. Give Him your time. You know, they, all Jesus wanted in that cute little skit was just time with us. They said, hey, we want to give you this sand from the Holy Land. We want to give you a Bible with, in red and with your name on it. We want to give you this really creative sweatshirt that says WWID, meaning what would I do and only Jesus could wear it. They said, we want to do all these things, but what they were missing on was the relationship with Jesus. And that's what Jesus needs, and that's what Jesus wants more than anything that we could possibly give him. It's easy to give money to church. It's easy to invite people over for Christmas. It's easy to, to, to give gifts and all those kinds of things in Jesus' name. But what Jesus wants most from you is you. He wants, your, he wants you to trust him as your Savior. And he wants to spend that time with you. So I'd encourage you to try doubly hard to make it your goal this year to, to spend time with Jesus and give him the time that he wants and the time that he deserves. Let's pray.